Amen. Thank you, Archie, for leading us faithfully. And thank you, Debbie, for your service of Christ, for representing this congregation in your ministry. And it's a privilege to hear and to hear more and more of your long and faithful service there. So thank you for that. This morning, we turn our attention again to God's Word for the sermon. And let me make a brief comment about the sermon. This is not a time for us to be entertained for 30 minutes. This is a time for us to be fed from God's Word, to be encouraged in the kind of people He's calling us to be, to be reminded where our hope truly lies, that it's always been outside of ourselves, it's always been in the person and in the work of Christ, and trying to communicate and to call upon God's people to see that, to know that, to believe that. And so this morning, we'll spend our few minutes together in the Gospel of Luke. You know that for several weeks, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 and 6. And this morning, we're jumping to near the end of the Gospel of Luke, because I've told you this series is moving towards Easter, and Easter is coming. And so in jumping to Luke chapter 18, what you should see and feel in the passage this morning is the tension that is mounting between Jesus and the religious leaders. And Jesus here will turn the dials. He will turn the heat up on the true source of tension and conflict against his ministry. And again, this is taking us towards Easter. I think you'll see that. I think you'll feel that. <clears throat> this morning, Jesus' word is about humility in the human heart, that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to those who are humble. We've heard it in other readings, but here Jesus gives it in a parable. He's going to tell us the story of two men, and it's probably familiar to you, but don't let yourself be so familiar with it that you don't hear what Jesus is saying. So let's listen with new ears. Luke chapter 18 Verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. The mystery of the kingdom of God that reverses everything as we know and experience. Let's pray that God would open our eyes and humble our hearts. Lord, would you do that work in us that only you can do? Would you humble our prideful hearts? But Lord, we ask that you would do it gently, but that you would do it truly. And we pray this for the sake of the King and his kingdom, that it would be faithful and true in every one of us and in our humble church family. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So those of you who are at least my age, you'll remember that in 1980, there was a popular song, a country song, by Mac Davis, titled, Lord, It's Hard to Be Humble. You remember this song? Now the lyrics to this song are entrenched in my heart. I used to love to hear this song on the radio. It made me smile. It made me laugh. Because the lyrics were these, if you don't know the song. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one heck of a man. I cleaned that up a little bit. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble but I'm doing the best that I can. You remember this song? Um, There's an equivalent song of this kind of humor today that if anybody knows this song, I'd like to know who you are, but it's from the Lonely Island, and it's called I'm So Humble. And that song and this song, they're funny to us. They make us giggle. They make us laugh. Why? Because they're so absurdly proud but hiding under the veil of false humility. And and to us, that's funny, right? You would never say these things out loud, right? You would never say this for someone else to hear. And so false humility is funny on one level, only because it's absurd. Here, Jesus is talking in his parable about true humility. He's talking about your view of yourself your posture towards God, and how you dare approach a holy God. So this is significant. This is weighty in challenging every one of us, our view of ourselves, our families, our family name, the things that we may or may not believe give us right standing in front of each other and in front of God. And so Jesus is giving a powerful message, and he's tweaking people. Right? We've talked about tweaking and how the Lord does that. Here he is tweaking the prideful religious heart. And he's warning all of us about false humility and the call to have true humility. Really, you could say the call to have self-awareness. To really see yourself for who you are, not for who you pretend to be. So it's funny when Mac Davis has false humility... It's dangerous when we do. Spiritually dangerous. So I have four points for us this morning, all based on this parable, to challenge us and yet to give us confidence in the person and the work of Christ. And the big idea, the theme this morning, is that kingdom people, if we are going to be people of the kingdom, 
then we must be truly humble people who are self-aware people, aware of our sin and aware of our Savior. That's the big idea of what's true this morning. So first, the context of this parable. Why is Jesus telling this story and doing it the way that He is? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, in previous weeks, the audience within Jesus' earshot were the disciples. He was speaking to the disciples. It's a different context here. Jesus is not just talking to His disciples. He's talking to the religious leaders who are listening. And we know this. In verse 9 it says, to those who were confident in their own righteousness and who looked down on everybody else. That's the context. That's the target of ministry. Is anyone who would ever look down on someone else with disdain. Anyone who would think themselves better than their peer, than their neighbor. And so the context of the parable is those who are proud and confident in their own righteousness. And this is where the tension is building. Jesus is targeting the religious elite. And it becomes more and more clear as we get into the parable. This is the tension that is peaking that is taking us to Easter. It's this tension with the religious. Soon there will be an unnecessary arrest There will be an unjust trial. And there will be an inhumane crucifixion of the King of Kings. And so that is the context and that is where in the Gospels the story is going. Now what is the point of the parable? The point of the parable is to let us know there are basically two kinds of people in this world. Two kinds of people. Blaise Pascal that 17th century French mathematician, philosopher, and theologian, put it this way. There are only two kinds of men. The righteous who think they are sinners and the sinners who think they are righteous. Now we might say that a little bit more clearly than he does because there's room for misunderstanding the way he puts that. We might better say there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who embrace their sin and those who are embraced by the Savior. Those who embrace their sin, who love their sin, are proud of their sin. And then there's some different people who have been embraced by a Savior and loved by a Savior, and they've been changed by that Savior. And Jesus uses two characters to tell of these two kinds of people in the world. The characters of the parable are, of course, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And here's where we really need to consider, chew on what Jesus has given us, and make that uncomfortable application to ourselves. So the Pharisee, the first character in the parable. Now you need to know, as we read this, As Jesus began to tell this story, the hearer's ears would perk up about the Pharisee. Not in the way that your ears perk up, probably in a very different way. The Pharisee would immediately be heard as the good guy, the protagonist. Oh, the Pharisee, the religious, those people that we only wish we were like. 
those people who have it all together. That would be the immediate thought. The tax collector, we'll see, would have produced a far different thought in the people's minds. Listen to verses 11 and 12 regarding these two people. Jesus says, The Pharisee who went up to the temple stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. So a few observations about each of these men. First, the posture of his body. This man went to the temple, and with a bold confidence, he stood. He stood by himself, and he prayed. That's a posture. There's a posture of body, and there's a posture of heart. And Jesus is talking about our posture here. Now, some of you have been trained to always have good posture, to always sit up straight, right? And have your shoulders back. And, you know, this is, we're supposed to present ourselves a certain way. Jesus is talking about our spiritual posture here. How we present ourselves before the Lord. How we present and view ourselves before other men. And this Pharisee had a confident posture. He was very confident in himself and in his doing. He would then have words spoken to God in his prayer, words that disdained the people around him. He thought little of those who were his neighbors, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Lord, he says, I thank you that I'm not like these men. He disdains his neighbor. C.S. Lewis came across a quote of his in my preparation this week. If you don't know this story, you'll love this story. This is from his letters to an American lady. In his letter, he says this, We were talking about cats and dogs the other day and decided that both have consciences. But the dog, being an honest and humble person, always has a bad one. But the cat, the cat is a Pharisee and always has a good conscience. When he sits and stares at you, he's thanking God that he is not you, that he's not a dog or even as other cats. Now, those of you who have cats know exactly that look that C.S. Lewis is talking about. They'll look right at you and they'll look through you. And C.S. Lewis humorously says, that's the heart of a Pharisee. Those are the eyes of a Pharisee, not the dog, not the beloved dog who goes around defeated like the tax collector with a guilty conscience, but the arrogant cat who will look you in the eyes and let you know, why are you in my home? Right? That really is a sense. I think it's marvelous what he does there. The heart, the posture of a dog and a cat. I feel like we could close in prayer now and have gotten the point of the parable. C.S. Lewis is right. The posture of the cat embodies the Pharisee. The posture of the dog is one of humility. He then speaks, the Pharisee does, empty words to God 
promoting himself, rehearsing his accomplishments out loud. And this is where he says, I thank you I'm not like other men, but I tithe on everything and I fast twice a week. Now that's a short sentence, but it says a lot. And this is what it says. The Pharisees were known to tithe on everything, even on their spices, things like mint and dill, which sound absurd to us. The law never required that. They went over and above what Scripture called God's people to do, and they were proud of it. He rehearses it in his prayer that, Lord, I tithe on everything. I do more than your word calls us to do. He then says, and I fast twice a week. Now, the Old Testament law was clear. God's people were called to fast, and specifically, they were to fast one day a year. This man fasts twice a week. 52 weeks in a year, 104 times a year. The law called them to fast one day. He fasts 104 days. And so he's rehearsing, I have exceeded by 104 times what the law has called us to do. And Jesus said, this is arrogance. This is pride. You're rehearsing your resume before the living God. And then lastly, there's a comment that we would know is true about the dress of a Pharisee. He's dressed to impress. The Pharisees were when in public. You were going to know who a Pharisee was and they were going to make sure that you knew who they were. And they would display that in their clothing. This Pharisee is a peacock. He is a peacock in word. He is a peacock in garment. He is a peacock in his heart, displaying for everyone to see, this is who I am, and I am better than you. And Jesus has strong, strong words about such arrogance. In Luke chapter 20, just two chapters from where we are, Jesus says this, While all the people were listening... Now, this is where you feel the tension and the heat rise between Jesus and the spiritual leaders. Listen, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and they love to have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. But they devour widows' houses. And for a show, they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Do you hear the tension and the conflict? Things are heating up. Jesus is zeroing in on the prideful religious heart. He's zeroing in on the prideful religious elite of the day, and he says they will be severely punished. Now remember, we're moving towards Easter. We're moving towards an unjust trial, an inhumane crucifixion. And it is these rightly spoken words of Jesus that are putting the target 
on that religious elite. And they are angered by it. Jesus exposes the, be- the peacock. He says there's no room, no room for such pride in the kingdom. Kingdom people are supposed to be humble. They're supposed to know that their only access to the presence of God is by His mercy and by His grace, by His kindness. And so here we have to stop and ask ourselves, is there a peacock in me? Do I display a spiritual resume for others to hear or see? Or is it quietly in my heart that I have confidence because of the things that I do? And the truth is, there's a Pharisee in every single one of us that thinks somehow, now maybe we wouldn't sing it like Mac Davis out loud, but very quietly our own little hearts, we think we're a little bit better than someone else. And we can be prideful. Nobody had to teach us how to be prideful, how to be arrogant, but we can make our giving We can even make our tithing as the Pharisee did. We can give with all the wrong reasons, all the wrong purposes, all the wrong motives, and it's empty, just like what Jesus is saying of the Pharisee. I mean, we can even take quiet times and devotions and pervert them into some kind of, well, yep, I had my time with the Lord today. How about you? And we become pharisaical. Or maybe just on the inside, we feel a little bit better about ourselves. Well, the Lord's going to bless me today because I had my quiet time. And that's how this works, right? I do good things and God makes good things happen for me. We can pervert and abuse everything, even good things. Or on our spiritual resume, we'll have busyness. Well, I'm I'm on every committee of the church and I do this and that out there in the world. And I'm busy, busy, busy. And I'm good, good, good because of it. You see, that's the heart of the Pharisee. And it's not maybe some of us have that heart. Every one of us does. Every one of us does. But there is hope for something to change us. There's hope for something to tweak our heart and to humble us. And that's the work of God Himself bringing us to a point of humility. And that is the second character in the story. It's the tax collector. Now, when the ears of the listening audience heard tax collector, probably didn't hear it as you do, because you're somewhat familiar with this story. They hear tax collector, and they hear the imperial march from Star Wars. They hear, here comes the bad guy in the story, right? We can't stand the tax collector, because he would have been seen as a fellow countryman who betrayed his people. One who was serving Rome to go twist arms and get money for Caesar. And the tax collector, he was always bad news when he came. He was known to take a little bit extra for himself, to twist your arm a little bit harder for his own good. And so the tax collector was despised for what he was. He would have been the antagonist in the story. He was the bad guy. Surely he would be the bad guy in Jesus' story. And so Jesus and the kingdom reverse everything from our expectation, right? 
The good guy ends up being the bad guy. The bad guy ends up being the good guy. And in verse 13, just in a short sentence, this is all Jesus says about the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. One, sen- one sentence on the tax collector, and it says it all. The posture of his body was that he would stand at a distance. The posture of his heart was that he would not even dare to look up to heaven. And the self-awareness that he had would be to beat his own chest. One commentator says that that act of beating the chest, beating one's breast, it's putting the finger on the very heart of the problem. It's a way of saying what's wrong is at the very center of who I am. My heart is crooked. My heart is wrong. And it's a beating of the chest acknowledging that at the very center of who I am, I have failed. And I think that's true. It's a visible picture of repentance and of brokenness. He beat his chest. He put his finger on the very heart of his problem. And then in his words to God, he says nothing about his faithful doings. He doesn't rehearse his resume before the Lord. All he says is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. A totally different posture than the Pharisee. A posture of brokenness. A posture of humility. If the Pharisee is the peacock, this man is the penitent. This is the man who is truly self-aware. He gets it. His view of himself. He is seeing himself for who he truly is. The peacock and the penitent. Which one are you? Which one are you? You know, we just had our culture celebrate St. Patrick's Day uh, this past Wednesday. St. Patrick, that 5th century servant of God. And my favorite quote from St. Patrick, which applies here to the penitent, says this, I am Patrick, a sinner, most unlearned, the least of all the faithful, and utterly despised by many. I've always wanted a t-shirt that said that. Have my name on the back, Patrick. Maybe the number one. And then on the front, put this quote from St. Patrick. The number one most despised of all the faithful. St. Patrick modeled what it was to be a man of penance. True repentance. A man of faith. And that's the same posture as the tax collector. That's who God's calling us to be. The church in the world... Not those who walk around with great confidence in ourselves, but those who say, oh, if there wasn't mercy from a holy God towards me, I would have no breath, no hope for anything but judgment against my sins. And that's the conclusion of the parable. 
In verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The kingdom reversal of human expectation. The way down is the way up, and the way up is the way down. Do you feel that? Jesus is saying His people, His church in the world, we're to be a humble people, self-aware of our sin, of who we really are in the heart, and humbled that God would show grace and mercy to us. And so you and I really are called in this parable to check ourselves, do a little self-evaluation, a little heart check, to check ourselves and be humbled about our posture, our posture towards God, our posture towards our neighbor, our posture within our family. Now think of the things that we can be prideful of. We're prideful in ourselves. We can be prideful of our families, even our family name. Prideful of our socioeconomic status, our education, our status symbols that we've acquired, our race, our class, our possessions, our achievements, our physical appearance, our giftedness. We can be prideful about all of those things and feel like, well, you know what? I'm thankful I'm not somebody else because I kind of like me. I kind of like me a lot. That's the posture of the Pharisee. But we'll be humbled if we don't check ourselves. And this morning, God is calling us, I pray gently, lovingly, but truly to be humbled to check ourselves and our posture about ourselves. I was reminded of a humorous story this week from the life of Winston Churchill, the British Prime Minister, who was humbled by his wife. If you don't know this story, hear it or be reminded of it if you do. One day, the Churchill couple walked through a posh neighborhood in London. People greeted and exchanged words with the prime minister. A street sweeper, on the other hand, greeted Miss Churchill in particular. And the two stayed together to the side for a while in a familiar conversation. Churchill then asked his wife what she had to discuss with a street sweeper for so long. And she said, ah... He was in love with me for a long time, she said. Churchill smiled and looked to her and said, You see, if you had married him, you would be the wife of a street sweeper today. But Miss Churchill looked at her husband in amazement and said these legendary words. But no, darling, if I had married him, he would be the prime minister today. And so Churchill's humbled by his wife. She tweaked him, and she said true things perhaps to him. So God is calling us to be a humble people, 
to have a sober view of ourselves, not a self-righteousness, but to see ourselves as He sees us. And so this morning, either check yourself and be humbled, or know what Scripture goes on to say. And that is, if you will not humble yourself, your heart will only be hardened. You'll only be more and more enamored with yourself and love yourself more and more and more. It will never end. The things that you will boast in will ruin you as they harden you. And in the end, you'll be left with nothing in your hands because they will all fail you. There is nothing in this life and of this world that cannot be taken from you. So what will you boast in? Will you boast in the mercy of God to sinners? Or will you boast in things that will rot and decay and deteriorate over time? Tim Keller, in his helpful little book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, says this, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself, or even thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Which is to say, quit thinking about you so much. Quit being so preoccupied with me, 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 me. Get you off of your own radar. And quit making yourself number one in everything. That's what true gospel humility will do to us. It will enlarge our view, not of ourselves, but it will enlarge our view of our God, our Savior, and our love for our neighbor. It's the mystery of the gospel. God says He does this kind of work in a particular people, and those people are His church. And what is at stake in our practice and understanding of humility is nothing less than justification. That's what Jesus says. Our justification, whether or not we are in right standing with a holy God, it will be proved, it will be evidenced by humility, or it will be disproved by our self-righteousness. That's what Jesus says. And you know, it's said in the Old Testament too. I'll close with this. The prophet Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness or mercy, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Old Testament and new, we've always been a prideful people, an arrogant, self-loving people who are enamored by all the wrong things. Jesus says this angers Him. Jesus says of the religious elite, they will be punished most severely. And so this morning we're called to check our own hearts. What are we boasting about? What are we prideful? Maybe in words we would never speak, but in the quietness of our own hearts, how is it we're thinking we're actually better than people? The Lord would say, stop boasting. Boast no more, except for in Him 
and in His truth. We're going to be encouraged to repent this morning in song through what we call special music. So in just a moment, uh, we're going to have sung to us a hymn by Isaac Watts from the 17th century, but put to a new tune thanks to Sandra McCracken. And the title of the hymn is I Boast No More. And after that special music, which really should help call each of us uh, to a spirit of repentance, then we'll close together in congregational song. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray one more time that you would humble us truly but gently. And Lord, if we've been boasting quietly in our hearts, quietly in our stubborn hearts, would you gently break that this morning? This week, would you cause us to see and examine our own posture and how we've been carrying ourselves before you and before others? So Lord, minister to us. Gently soften our stubborn hearts. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.